You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. What's going on, fam? Good morning. Hey, glad you guys are here. Um, yeah, and it is uh, a harder day and a harder week, and uh, there's no, there's not a lot of places in the world that we can do what we just did uh, here together. So I'm, I'm really glad you guys are here. We're actually, uh, well, let me introduce myself first. My name is Andrew Flowers. If I haven't met you before, I'm a pastor in training here at Midtown Lexington, and we're actually closing up the series today. So that's the last time that you'll hear that wonderful song in that bumper video. It's actually from Real Work. It's a local Columbia band because it's in Columbia, in the greater Columbia area, as it is in heaven, really more than anything. So uh, our aim for this series has been to clarify what exactly we're trying to accomplish as a church, and maybe even more specifically, the kinds of people we are trying to become. And our prayer is that Columbia would be a little bit more like heaven every single day. And we think the starting point for this is our own lives. And so we've heard about a lot of great things kind of over the the span of this series. So I just wanted to share a couple uh, for you from kind of our family of churches. So when we started the series, we launched a Bible reading plan that you can either print or get a daily email that was loosely based on what we were preaching on each Sunday. And since the series started, we've heard of a lot of life groups who use that Bible reading plan as a way to check in each day and hold each other accountable with what they're learning from the passages. Uh, one life group after week two on abiding felt moved to be praying more together. So now as a life group, they've been reading through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, and are now doing prayer walks each week before life group night. Uh, One week uh, after our generosity sermon, a life group hosted a budget party for their group. And so a lot of them knew their next steps with their money was to be more responsible and to create a budget. And so they all brought their laptops and they all created budgets together. And so all these are are really, really awesome. We we also talked about fellowship uh, through the presence and participation in the life group. We talked about confession and repentance to God and others. We talked about living on mission through hospitality. And last week, of course, we talked about serving and becoming a people who really enjoy doing what others need. And I hope, I hope that you've benefited greatly. I hope life group times have been a time where we can figure out how to grow in all these things that we're trying to be and trying to be compelling people. And this morning, we're looking at our last covenant practice and that talks about our Sunday gatherings. So what we do in this room on Sunday mornings. Uh, And the really incredible thing about Sunday gatherings is we actually get to experience a concentrated dose of all of the other covenant practices here together in an hour and 15 minutes. We get to abide, we get to fellowship, we get to serve, we get to join in on mission, we get to confess and repent, we get to be generous. All of these practices we get the opportunity to step into together here every single Sunday morning. And it's powerful. It has the power to shape us into becoming more like Jesus. And so that's what we're actually talking about this morning, how gatherings can shape us together. And so that's our covenant practice. I'll just read it for us. It's our gatherings on Sunday shape us into a people marked by listening to God's word and responding in prayer, worship, generosity, and mission within our spirit-filled community. Therefore, I commit to prioritizing Sunday gathering participation. Uh, Will you guys pray with me? Jesus, we're, we're thankful for who you are. 
We're thankful that you are good to us and that you are present. And I just pray that um, as we spend time in your word, as we spend time gathered together, that you would shape us into more of the people that, that you're calling us to be, that you would shape us into these compelling people that would bring more to know you and to know your hope and your love. Amen. Amen. If you got a Bible around you, if you want to open up to Hebrews chapter 10, that's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the chair somewhere around you. So Hebrews chapter 10. It's actually going to take me a second to hit specifically on gatherings, but just hold on, hold on, we'll get there. So Hebrews chapter 10, we'll start in verse 19. We'll start in verse 19. Cool. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. All right, pause real quick. There's a million and one things going on here, and I won't have time to get into every single thing, but uh, let's just get a real quick picture. So back in the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, were served by priests. And priests were the mediators or the go-betweens between the people and God. And so they would go into the temple and among other things, they would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. So that's big picture. Zoom in on one day a year called Yom Kippur. The priest would go in and he would sacrifice an animal, and there were specific things that he had to do with the blood of that animal, and he paid or atoned for the sins of God's people. And so here's what the author of Hebrews is saying really quick, is that Jesus is both the great high priest and the true and perfect sacrifice. So because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, that sacrifice for us, we can now enter into the presence of God with confidence. So he's both the perfect sacrifice given for us, and also the great high priest who stands and intercedes or mediates between us and God. And so the first thing we need to see from this passage is that if you're a Christian, this is our truest reality. What Christ has done, who Christ is to us, is our truest reality. This is the truest thing about us, that we have confidence to enter into the presence of God because of what Christ has done on the cross, period. So that, that, is, that is those first chunk of verses. Let's keep going in verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So because of these things, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful." Let's come close to God confidently with full assurance that he has washed us clean, that he has made us new, that he has forgiven us and given us a new heart. Let's draw near to him knowing that because Christ has taken our sin and gives us his righteousness, that we are right and blameless before him. Let's hold tight to what Christ has done for us, that his sacrifice is our hope, that he is faithful despite our faithlessness that he is the great sacrifice and our great high priest, and that we have the Holy Spirit who has sealed us until the day of Christ's return. Here's actually why we started with with those first handful of verses this morning. We we are caught up in a story. We, We are caught up in God's redemptive 
narrative. You see, God of the universe created all of mankind to be in perfect relationship with Him. We, because of our own sin, marred that relationship, and our hearts in this world is now marred by sin, but God continually reaches out to His people, making a way for them to be in relationship, and ultimately God does this by sending Jesus to be our great high priest, to be our advocate to God, to usher in the kingdom, to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve. Sound familiar? Amen. Yes, come on, it's good news for us. This is the story that we believe. Jesus came, brought the kingdom, and that kingdom is moving forward until the final day that he will return. This is God's story. And uh, you know how stories shape you, like believing these stories can shape us over time. Uh, I can see this really clearly in movies. I, I love, love movies a lot. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Lord of the Rings. Anybody? Yes. Oh, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I can see how Lord of the Rings... Uh, I've seen it a lot. Let's say I've seen it a lot. It would be untrue to say that I've seen it too many times because there is no amount of times that is too many times to see that masterpiece. I mean, come on, it's too good. Um, But there are things in my everyday life that I see that will just ping off something that makes me think of Lord of the Rings. For example, anytime someone mentions potatoes, See, the people that have seen Lord of the Rings that many times know that that's a good joke, but if you haven't seen it, you don't know, and that's okay. But that story has shaped me. But that story is not true. If I thought that that story was true and actually lived into that story, I wouldn't be here this morning. I would be backpacking across New Zealand trying to take the ring back to Mordor. But like, that's not the true story. But we, we as people tend to live into false stories all the time. We, we live into things that are not true about us or about the world. Uh, a child that grows up never hearing that they are loved will live like they are unlovable. Uh, I heard a story from one of our, our pastors this week about a woman in our two-notch church, and she grew up in a very legalistic church culture. You have to do this or you're not right with God. If you're not this, then you're broken and busted up. And that's how she identifies herself. Even years and years later, removed from that church culture, she still identifies with being busted and broken up. And that's the only way she talks about herself, not recognizing God's healing and God's grace. That, that false story is the story that she's living into. We say all the time, we said it last week, that the things we do, do things to us. And so even the stories that we believe and the stories that we live into shape the way we see the world, shape the way that we behave, shape the way that we believe. And that, in part, is why the writer of Hebrews says that we have to hold fast to our confession of hope. We have to hold fast to God's story as that shapes us because it affects the way that we live. So uh, the writer continues. Let's keep going in verse 24. He says in verse 24, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The way God's story ends is uh, with Christ returning on the day, the capital D day, as the writer of Hebrews calls it. So all those that believe and trust with him will be with him forever. Forever, He will make all things new and right. But we're not there yet. 
We're in the already that Jesus has come and ushered in the kingdom, but not yet. The kingdom isn't here fully. That capital D day hasn't come yet. And so in the middle space, the author of Hebrews says that we need encouragement, that we need to encourage one another because we're in this in the middle, but we know this is coming. We know this is true. How are we to encourage one another? What is one way that we can encourage one another? It says by meeting together, by not neglecting the people of God, joining together with other members of God's family to rehearse and remember this story of God. So this is why throughout history, God's people have prioritized. We need to have some space where we are all together. And it's looked different through generations, but they have always prioritized that we have a space to meet together. So uh, here's, here's kind of the big picture for us, and I've said it multiple times already, but we are being shaped by the stories around us. The reality is, is that everything around us throughout the world actually calls us to believe a different story other than God's story. It's in our phone, it's in our Netflix queue, it's in our conversations at work, it's on the radio, on your morning commute, and it is pervasive. It seeps into every thought of our thought process, and it just feels normal because it's the cultural water with it that we swim in. But we were being crashed upon by waves on every side saying that this is how you think about yourself, this is what you believe your biggest problem is, this thing or these things or not enough money or too much money or these situations or these people or this relationship will actually make things right for you. And we can do what we want because we're in charge and what we see is all there is. And when you hear a story so many times and so frequently and strongly, it's hard not to believe it. And so let, let's call this story culture's story this morning. And culture's story says that I'm in charge. This is all there is, so I'll do what I want. It says I'm in charge. This is all there is, so I'll do what I want. And we hear this everywhere. And family living into this story brings all kinds of pain and suffering. If I am shaped to believe that I'm in charge, that is actually really crushing to me. I'm, I'm not big enough to be in charge. I'm not strong enough to be in charge. I'm not good enough to be in charge. My heart is marred and messed up by all kinds of things. And if I were in charge, that would actually go really poorly for me and other people. If I'm shaped to believe that this is all there is, that this world, what I see, is all that there is, then what hope do I have? If there's no ultimate purpose from a God who has promised to come back and on that capital D day make everything right, what's the point? What is going on? If I'm shaped to believe that I can and even should do what I want, then I have the potential to do unlimited damage to myself and others around me. If I give in to my messy and broken heart, giving in to those desires, I have enormous potential for harm. So if those things are shaping us, then it is clear that we need a reshaping. We need a reshaping. We are in great need of reshaping. All these false stories are shaping us, whether we know it or not. And we are in dire need of things that shape us more towards believing the reality, towards believing God's story. We need the true story, we need God's story, and we need something that consistently reminds us of true things. 
And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is gatherings as that reshaping gift from God. That is the gift from God that he's given to us to consistently shape and change our minds. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, realizes this as well. You don't have to turn there, but in, in Romans 12, 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, so don't be sh- so shaped by the false story that the world around you tells, that the culture tells. Don't let that story be what you believe and hear most consistently, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the over and over change of your mind to remember the truth that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? We are in need of transformation renewal. We are bombarded on all sides by things that aren't true, and we are in need of truth to wash and renew our minds so that we can be shaped and transformed into more of the people that Jesus called us to be. So what I'm going to do over the next couple of minutes is kind of break down culture's story and kind of put it side by side with God's story and show us kind of how the gathering shapes us to believe God's story, shapes us into believing more of what is true. So culture's story says that I'm in charge. This is all there is, so I'll do what I want. I'm in charge. This is all there is, so I'll do what I want. And God's story says that God's in charge. There's more to life than this. So it's not about me. God's in charge. There's more to life than this. So it's not about me. So let's take it from that first little phrase. I'm in charge versus God's in charge. Uh, Our our culture is set up in such a way to tell you that you are the most important thing in your life, period. You do you, boo-boo. Follow your heart. Chase your dreams. Don't let the haters get in the way of what you want. Uh, Diet Coke's new slogan this year is because I can. So I like what I like and I do it because I can. Why shouldn't I? Moana can't be held down. She is Moana. That's right, Clash. I'm taking back the singing on this stage bit. You can't just sing don't worry about a thing and get away with it. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) But this is uh, precisely what we're trying to combat in our gatherings. We start with a call to worship to remember who God is. Remember that he is good and in charge. That's why we submit ourselves to scripture, where it's, whether it's on the screen in the songs or being read aloud or being taught in the sermon. We're saying God is in charge. He's smarter than us. We trust him. My life is no longer centered on my dreams, my desires, my power, my control, my comfort or approval, but it's about God and his kingdom over everything. That's really, that's really good news for us. It may not sound like it, but it's really good news. Like I said, I'm not big enough to be in charge. My kingdom's not even good enough for me, much less the world. But God is big and powerful and good. His word provides truth for us in the midst of lies. And reminding ourselves that God is in charge is one of the most freeing and comforting things that we can realize. Because we're not big enough, strong enough good enough, loving enough, just enough to be in charge, but he is, even in the midst of times when we can't see it. So that's number one, that I'm in charge versus God is in charge. Number two is that this is all there is versus there's more to life than this. So stick with me for a second. I'm going to go over here and then come back over here. So in 2007, uh, philosopher Charles Taylor wrote this behemoth of a book called A Secular Age. It's an 800-page 
plus work that many Christian and non-Christian philosophers consider one of the most influential and important works of philosophy in the past 100 years. It's really, really incredible. And the book he addresses by a product, byproduct of post-Enlightenment thought or the rise of humanism and secularism. And he says one of these byproducts is uh, that many of us in the West have and still experience is life, seeing life inside the imminent frame. He calls it the imminent frame. And so that what we see is what is real. What we can test and get data around only is what is real. What, what we can address through human and natural means is real. And, and that points out that there's this distinct lack of knowledge or lack of awareness of the transcendent in our world today, of something that is higher or other than us. That, that really none of us, Christian or non-Christian, default to an ongoing awareness that there is more to life than what is right in front of us in the natural world. We've been shaped only to see and trust what we can see, what we can control, and what we can do to put all of our stock into something that is natural, to overwhelmingly have eyes that are kept down on the surface and in that imminent frame. But God is working and moving in much bigger ways than that. We are called not only to see the natural and appreciate the natural and live here, but also have eyes to see the transcendent, to know that there is a bigger war going on, that there is a kingdom outside of this world, that heaven is real, that God is real, and that God is active and working and moving in ways that we don't always tangibly see. If we're not careful, we can only keep our eyes down and only see what is in front of us and don't remember that there is actually something bigger going on, that God is actually working something out. And so we gather this morning and every week to remember that what we see is not all there is, that God is real, He is transcendent in other, but He is also active and working in the world. There is a heaven, and that capital D day that the author of Hebrews is talking about is the day where the natural and the transcendent, where heaven and earth come together, and we are in the presence of that God forever. What we see is not all there is, and that is hopeful truth for us this morning, that what we see in terms of sickness and in terms of death is not all there is, but there is a greater reality that God has promised to make all those things right. And we look forward to that capital D day that the author of Hebrews talks about. So that's, that's the second kind of phrase and the third phrase to kind of end us up is I'll do what I want versus it's not about me. And very similarly to number one, our culture and our own hearts are automatically set on putting ourselves first. How am I feeling? What do I need? What am I doing? How am I doing? Our culture is so indoctrinated with consumerism that is the default lens that we view every scenario in. What can this do for me? And this is definitely connected to how we see the gathering a lot of times. We got into this a little bit when we talked about fellowship, but Jesus called us into a family where we put others before ourselves, that we think about what is good for the group rather than what is just good for the individual. And this means that we show up even when we don't feel like it because gatherings are not primarily about us, what we can get, what we can obtain. But gathering together reminds us 
that I am here to be a help to others. This is an us thing. Gathering together is not a me thing or a you thing or an I thing. It is an us thing. And that's why we don't just show up in presence, but also in participation. We show up early. We deny ourselves and our snooze buttons. And we we come ready to welcome new folks. We sing and we sing loudly because singing is not just for God's glory and our good, but it also encourages those around us to believe those truths. We deny our introversion and we look around at who is new or who we don't know and we engage with them and invite them into our lives. We listen and maybe even once in a while, maybe more than we should or maybe less than we should, we let out an mm or an amen for Bailey. I mean, come on. He, I mean, he really fishes for those sometimes. And when the Bible is read and preached, we listen and engage because the word is being preached and proclaimed. We give and we give generously in response to what God has done for us. And we take communion, joyfully remembering the body and blood of Christ. Uh, this, among many reasons, is why uh, a podcast most weeks just don't cut it. Bi- podcasts are great, extra supplemental teaching, or when you have to miss a gathering and need to catch up, but you cannot live out Hebrews 10 through a podcast. You can't. You can't worship with God's people. You can't encourage one another. You can't stir one another up. You, t- you can't take communion with the gathered church. You can't uh, encourage those and welcome those who are welcome, who are new to our family. And so you are shaped through your participation or even lack thereof week in and week out. You are shaped by that. And we have a set time coming every single week at 10-ish on Sunday morning where you're going to have to decide this is about more than me. And through deciding that, through showing up and engaging and participating, you're restored and reshaped and renewed to know that it's not about me. Meeting together is an us thing. We are a family together and we are less without you for the good of your life group, for the good of this city and the hurting people around us. We all need the gathering. We all, we all need the gathering. We all need it. I need it. You need it. We need it. Uh, this is really easy to be recognized to me in different cultures even. Uh, there are believers in the world that will walk two plus hours to get to a gathering of other believers. I saw this a couple years ago when I was in Mexico and they know the need for it. They know that it is good for them, and so they sacrifice because of it. Uh, the underground church in China, every time they get together, they risk persecution, and they continue to do it. Uh, in Bethlehem, the Christians in Bethlehem are actually hated by multiple different groups of people, but they put buckets of water at the end of the rows because in the middle of their gatherings, firebombs will come into the sanctuary, and they will put the fire out with the buckets of water. So they keep the buckets of water close so that they can continue to gather together and continue to worship. Uh, This is really interesting, but in England and Seattle and many other places, actually, including Charleston and Charlotte and Greenville and Spartanburg, there are actually atheist churches that meet and gather together weekly. Uh, It's interesting for, for more reasons than this, but they see the importance of being in a community gathered together. They see how it is important to be gathered together consistently. And so kind of as we're wrapping up, just some some take-home practicals for us. Um, Some of us need to make gatherings a priority. You see it as an option rather than a choice that you've already decided to make. 
Decide today that next Sunday and the following are a priority for you and your family. If you're deciding Sunday morning, it's probably too late. If you're thinking of options on Saturday night, you've probably already decided. And some of us show up every week, and that is really, really great. I mean, genuinely, that is really, really great to show up and attend. And the next step for us might be to participate, to engage, taking a step forward in participation and not just attendance, singing, welcoming, whatever. And for some of us, we need to take a hard look at our calendar over the last couple months and say, you know what, we're actually way too out of town on most weekends and we're missing this gift. And so what, it, what would it look like to shift our schedule around so that we can be back with church family on Sundays? We, we need this time and this space and these rhythms and these practices together because we live in the already but not yet. We're in the in-between where that capital D day has not come yet, where we don't realize uh, what truly is going on in this world that God is going to make all things right. And as we experienced even earlier in the gathering today, we need to be reminded and encouraged of the truth because in the midst of darkness, things can get really, really hard. And so let's continue to meet together. Let's continue to recognize that we all need the gathering. We are less without you, and we need one another. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for um, the gift of who you are, that you are our great high priest, and that you are the true and perfect sacrifice, and that you have made a way for us to be right with God the Father again. And Thanks so much for the gift of the gathering, that we can gather together and sing and recognize who you are and cry and mourn together, but also remember the truth of your story, that you're in charge, that there's more to life than this, and it's not about me. Yeah, thank you for giving us a family. Thank you for giving us a space that we can gather together. And pray that you would continue to shape us into the family of compelling people that you've called us to be. And that that would just show off your love and the hope that you bring to the world around us. Yeah, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio from Midtown Fellowship in Lexington. We are in the middle of a two-month capital campaign to raise money to buy a permanent facility on East Main Street, right in the heart of Lexington, South Carolina. If you have been blessed at all by this podcast and would like to give to that over and above your regular giving to your church, wherever you call home, we would love to have you participate. Feel free to visit movetoeastmain.com for more information.